0: David, what do you think is inherently more embarrassing and therefore more emo? The fact that former Texas congressman and current Democratic candidate for president, Beto O'Rourke, has a "Rights of Spring lyric on his senior page in his high school yearbook? Or the fact that I, Nick Feely, Washingtonian in exile, and co-host of this podcast... Have a bright eyes lyric in his senior yearbook. page.
1: <laughs> uh, i I would be damning myself if I said you're more embarrassing because Nick, I too have a bright eyes quote in my senior page of our yearbook. <laughs> no how I may wish for a coffin, so clean, all these trees to
2: undress, all leaves onto me, I put my face in the dirt. And-
1: Yeah. We got to sit with that. We got to have that. That doesn't go away. You can't
0: erase that. Yeah. Yeah. Like white privilege, it just sits Mm -hmm. on you and you Mm -hmm. just experience the totality of that.
1: You have to you have to realize how you can move past it and better yourself. Yes. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Yeah. So, yeah. Which is to say we're
0: more emo than Beto. Yeah. Yeah. Oh, way more emo than Beto. Definitely. I I can't you I can't you Welcome to episode four uh, of uh, the discourse. Yeah, uh, this is this
1: is good. I mean, so is that what we're talking about today, Nick? Are we 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 talking emo?
0: Are you talking emo, Phillips?
1: <laughs> Do you have like an emo Phillips like bit like queued up? Is this like you're gonna be like a s- shock jock? Just like I don't even know what his bits were like. It's nice to be here in Chicago. I was in the library. The guy is very rude. I said, i like a card. He says, You have to prove you're a citizen of Chicago. So I stabbed him.
0: No, we're not gonna be talking about emo strictly per se today. But uh, we are going to be talking about um, what uh, is referred to in, you know, many corners as kind of the start of that much maligned term. Um, a term that most of the bands we'll talk about today uh, would be remiss if they did not insist it was the dumbest fucking term they'd ever heard. Uh, and, and they, they would have said that at the time 30 years ago yeah <laughs> yeah at the time no so today in the discourse we're talking about a magical period in time called revolution summer so excited i mean this is
1: this is revolution nick this is
0: this is exciting summer we're recording this in october but it was 90 degrees out here today so yeah so perfect yeah,
1: yeah same here in new york it was uh, miserable and awful
0: so yeah, we're going to be talking today. We'll be doing things a little bit out of order.
1: Yeah, we're for now going to skip over, uh, what, about three or four, maybe five records that in any other telling of this time also tend to get
0: skipped over. But yeah. we'll talk about them at some point. We will come back to them. Don't worry, because there's a very important record in the ones that we're skipping over. I'm, I'm
1: uh, edge of my seat. Which one, Nick? Egghead. <laughs> it's egg hunt. <laughs> Nick, you set you set up the spike so perfectly. kevin you just you didn't miss it. You just like you just pissed yourself. Yeah, by. you just yeah.
0: I just watched it go by. <laughs> Uh, the magic of making your own podcast folks the records so we're going to be covering today are uh rites of springs uh self-titled um and uh the all through life ep as well as the six song demo which comes out much later but you know is obviously uh, an important document of kind of how their sound develops in a very rapid period of time we're we're
1: also going to be talking about something that's really important something that i think for the first couple times we tried to record episode 1 we did not do well which is we're going to be talking about how to pronounce Guy pachoto's name and it's that yeah it's i was going to say that, yeah
0: it's <laughs> yeah it's uh it's pachoto um so uh if any anyone's lawyer is listening, please, please know that we are on the up and up now. We've, we've done our due diligence.
1: I, I, Up until I think we started planning out this podcast, I think I, I, think I knew it was Gi. But yeah. I usually think in my head or even out loud, I would say Pidgeotto. And yeah. to, to my credit, I was and, and still am a big Pokemon fan. And yeah. so there's the Pokemon Pidgeotto. So, you know, oh. it's just, it just gets stuck there. And you're like, why yeah. would I, why would I shift over? So that's, yeah. it's yeah. Guy why, why bother?
0: It's ghee pachoto. All right. Did I say it right again? I think you did. Okay. We don't know. <laughs> we will never know.
1: Mm-mm. It's actually really funny. If you try to look it up, if you like how to pronounce Guy pachoto. <laughs> somehow it's made it onto those websites where it's like, how do you pronounce words? <laughs> you know, like, how do I, how do I pronounce, like, banal? Uh, somehow Guy Pachoto has made it onto, I'd say at least three of them I found, so.
0: And then does it have, like, the robotic, like, recording?
1: Mm-hmm. Yeah, it's like, Guy Pachoto. Yeah. <laughs> it's correct, too. So, like, someone fixed it. It's, do you think he did that himself? He's
0: got the time. Do you think money. he was just like, God, I am just sick of this fucking shit, like. Mm-hmm. It's not that hard, people.
1: Yeah, yes. The answer is I would totally believe that's what he's done with yeah. his time.
0: I hope that's what he's done. Mm-hmm. I hope he deserves
1: it. it. He deserves it.
0: That and going to going to Wizards games. So you know what is re- like. Let's start with this idea of what is Revolution Summer. You know, I mean it. It sounds very momentous, and it sounds very. Um, I don't know. It almost sounds like mythical. Mm -hmm. Uh, you know which I think in a way is kind of funny it's it's almost like you know you know they're sort of self mythologizing Mm -hmm. but also kind of acknowledging like maybe how ridiculous all this is so from a couple of different perspectives revolution summer is a couple different things so it's in a lot of ways a retrenchment of what you would probably call sort of the old guard DC punks so mm-hmm. a lot of those kids who were there early on and who you know formed bands like teen idols like SOA like um you know chalk circle and um you know were you know kids in you know 1979 1980 and who were inspired by that sort of initial burst that we talked about in episode one episode two mm-hmm. um by eighty three eighty four the scene has just you know been completely deluged by mm-hmm. sort of what you know dismissively you could call Johnny come lately's you know yeah. um and, and this is not an uncommon phenomenon. Like, if you mm-hmm. read anything about, like, L.A. around eighty eighty one, you know, the initial kind of old guard of punks there, you know, were mostly Hollywood and um, L.A. proper. And then they talk about, like, once punk got to the suburbs and you got, like, jocks coming in and, you know, yeah. the whole sort of, you know, Huntington Beach crew, like. So this is not an uncommon thing that happens. So, you know, it starts with these, you know, sort of precocious kids in, you know, mostly upper Northwest D.C., you know, with pockets throughout, you know, in northern Virginia and Maryland. But then, you know, once it kind of gets further out there and you get sort of, you know, people who are kind of attracted to it because of the aggression,
2: mm-hmm.
0: who are attracted to it because of, you know, the violence, Um and yeah. and and it's it's kind of funny. Like the we're going to
1: talk about this as as what Revolution Supper sort of started to become. But these early records, yeah, there was aggression. There was sort of like a, a very male energy, you know, aggressive, yeah. uh, in your face sort of a projection of like you know the sort of teenage version of society of what they've, they've put it together. But it's also like. There's no politics here. I, I think that's maybe sometimes people talk about this early period. Like, or they talk about punk in general. It's mm-hmm. like the poli- the politics infused in these things were not complex. It was not a binary left or right. It was like I don't like the people in charge, and that will obviously draw in people who they're like the people in charge, is the people who tell me I can't get like pissed drunk in public. <laughs>
0: yeah, you know, teachers or your parents, you know, mm-hmm. so, but, so all these, all these people who, you know, started in 79, 80, you know, and were kind of that first wave of, you know, what were sort of dismissively called at the time, team punks,
2: mm-hmm.
0: you know, your Ian McKay's Jeff Nelson, you know, now they're, getting into their early twenties. Right. And they've, they've lived through hardcore. They've, they've seen what it's kind of become out, you know, by dint of going out on tour, especially minor threat, they've seen kind of how mindless it's kind of become and how like all a band has to do is play loud and fast. And, you know, you, you've got a circle pit, you know, Mm -hmm. and, um, you know, they've seen how You know, women have been kind of pushed to the sidelines in some really ugly ways um, and, you know, have been kind of, you know, pushed, pushed around both like in the pit, so to speak, but also just like in terms of involvement. And I think that that's something that for kids, the kids who, you know, kind of lived through that, you know, they they sort of you know saw what was happening to this thing that was really special to them and they did not like it Mm -hmm. It gets more violent ian MacKay, you know sort of famously says like by 83 like i was just sick and tired of getting punched in the head by marines (laughs) i mean this is also uh
1: you you read about this era and you read about the bands and how um i i've noted on a couple places that it'll say like oh they were playing smaller venues like this was sort of them getting back to their roots But like the reason they were playing smaller venues is because all the normal venues at this point were just getting beat to shit And they yeah. weren't letting these people play And yeah anybody connected to the scene like they were not being let into community centers <laughs> They were not being let into church, you know community halls like it was yeah.
0: like I think the Wilson Center like mm-hmm. shuts stops doing shows like in maybe the mid 80s yeah, um Very expensive because because of a show, yeah. Yeah, because, you know, a bunch of, you know, punk kids, like, you know, broke windows and destroyed a bathroom or whatever. So I think that's a big part of it. And the sort of person who actually plays a huge role in kind of fermenting this sort of anticipation of, like, something's got to happen is uh, is a woman named Amy Pickering, who um, we'll actually talk about uh, later because she plays in the band Fire Party. But Amy Pickering um, was a friend of Ian Kai, a friend of all sort of the players of the scene, uh, of the early scene. And um, she was, I think she was in high school when? Yeah, because, yeah,
1: we're going to get to it, but it's always she had a summer job at this point. So, yeah, I think she was late late high
0: school. Back in the mid in the in the early '80s in DC, when uh, His Honor Marion Barry was uh, was mayor, um, before he was set up, um, he had these things called. Uh, I think they were like neighborhood council. What were they? I can't remember exactly, but basically they were kind of like make-work jobs for mm-hmm. teens. Um, and they gave you know, you could apply and get like a summer job. You know, uh, running like a summer camp kind of thing or, you mm-hmm. know, um, you know, typical teen job stuff. And I guess Amy Pickering and a couple other people had this job, a summer job at the neighborhood planning council, which is right up the street from where my parents live in DC. Um, it's, uh, it's actually an abandoned building right now. <laughs> um, it's been completely like, it's completely overgrown with Ivy. I don't know if, if it's still there. I, can't remember the last time i was down there but anyway it's it, it, it would now be a good cover
1: for an album that's inspired by right to spring
0: yeah um any uh neo emo fans mm-hmm. uh you looking for a decent uh cover photo mm-hmm. uh this band, building band is photos available. yeah and band mm-hmm. photos this building is available i will take it to take you to it uh for a nominal fee what she started doing was and I guess this would have been like 84, mm-hmm. um, maybe fall, maybe spring of 85 is she started like cutting up and making like these weird sort of ransom note things. And and the, the famous one is is one that got sent and it just said keep on your toes. Revolution summer is coming. And she says now that, you know, the impetus was because I wanted to kind of get people excited about, you know, the scene felt like it was just dead, you know, from like 83, 84, just felt like nothing was going on. People were unhappy. And I was just trying to like, you know, get some momentum. And
1: and who was she sending these to? Like, I, I, I couldn't tell when I was reading about this.
0: I think she was sending them to people like, you know, other people in the scene. So, you oh, okay. know, probably Ian McKay, mm-hmm. probably, you know, probably, you know, sort of the discord bands, mm-hmm. um, you know, and getting them kind of re-engaged
2: because
0: mm-hmm. um, they talk about. They talk about, you know, how, you know, minor threat breaks up in 83 faith breaks up 83 Um Void, I think, is broken up. I uh, eighty three,
2: mm-hmm.
0: you know. Scream is still around, but they've kind of, you know, they've they go. They're they're actually out touring, yeah. you know. Uh Marginal Man, I think, is still around, but you know, it's kind of this weird period of flux, yeah. and everyone's tired of you know these shows being just total shit shows. Mm-hmm. Um, You know, a lot of the women who, you know, may have been content to sit on the sidelines or, you know, kind of do stuff behind the scenes are starting to, like, get kind of sick and tired of that, too. Mm -hmm. And, you know, it all kind of coalesces around um, a restaurant called uh, Food for Thought. But they started doing, like, really small-scale shows. Like, you know, it was a restaurant, so, I mean, it couldn't have been... You know, I don't know how big it was, but it couldn't have been that big. I mean, you look at photos like it looks pretty cramped. Yeah, I mean,
1: this, but, is, this is this is a precursor to a lot of things. I mean, even we experience and I think any yeah. scene in any scene will now know about it, which is like, yeah, you get these sort of funny shops. A lot of times there's leftists of some style or anarchists aligned or, you know, they're they're DIY venues or they're people yeah, they're who just are from the scene.
0: Spaces. Mm-hmm. You know, 84 is kind of when, you know, they start doing some shows there and um you know there's some famous photos of Rights of spring playing an early show there you know so amy pickering plays a big role uh in sort of getting people like all right we got to get something started you know
1: yeah and, um, and i think i think it really says the thing that you read about this and you think yeah you hear revolution Summer and like we we're saying up top like that sounds almost silly for for what it was even, even if you wanted to like Canonized this period mm-hmm. like revolution Summer, is such a ostentatious name for oh it's so over a bunch top. of bands but it that kind of feeling was spurned on by one person a high schooler in yeah. a like a back office room with a xerox machine yeah and it that's that was the sort of this yeah the the i mean that's why festering, it, not, not even like a festering wound but just like a tepid period where there's just all these sort of points pulling people. There was a lot of malaise setting into the feeling of what the scene was. Yeah. Yeah.
0: Yeah. And, you know, kids are also getting older and, you know, they're graduating high school and, you know, they're sort of facing that inevitable, like, do I go off to college? Do I, you know, the scene kind of going through growing pains or whatever. So Mm -hmm. that's definitely a big part of it. And I think you also have kind of the fact that a lot of these people that end up playing in these bands they're getting better at their instruments.
1: Yeah. Yeah. Um, Because
0: we, I mean, we talked about it, I think maybe the first episode where, yeah, these,
1: these people were fans of like, as funny as it seems to think about it now, like they were fans of classic, classic rock. They, they were not playing the way they were for the most part out of like a desire to, have it sound this rough and sloppy. It's like they weren't very good or they sort of were over indexing the need to play this way. And it's, it gets tiring. It's not fun to keep playing that kind of style.
0: And I think, you know, they're starting to kind of like get more open-minded sonically speaking, you know, they're starting to listen to, you know, like you said, they're starting to reach back into kind of the more classic canon um, I know, uh, like, you know, gray matter, you know, covers, uh, I am the egg man mm-hmm. or I am the walrus. Um, boy, I, really, I am the egg hunt. Yeah. I am the egg hunt. I'm having a real hard time with egg related, uh, phrases tonight. And, um, you know, Guy Pachoto was a big fan of the Beatles. So, you know, they're starting is, to kind is of, that, go,
1: is that, is that why he plays a Rickenbacker? <laughs> I mean
0: That's probably a good not, question. But... I think I think in one of the interviews I was looking at, he he talks about that it might be, but he also I think he just also talks about like he really likes the the high treble that you get mm-hmm. with it. Mm-hmm. but he also notes that it feed it feedbacks like crazy. Hmm. so you know, as far as like kind of hardcore as a you know eighty four eighty four like is seen as kind of like this really important year in independent music and punk rock and indie rock, whatever you want to call it, because sort of the leading bands at that point start putting out stuff that really diverges from kind of the loud, fast rules stuff. You know, so you have My War by Black Flag, which is totally sludgy Black Sabbath worship. Mm -hmm. You have the Minutemen's Double Nickels on the Dime, which is like this sprawling double album you know with a lot of different ideas going on
1: i stand for language i
0: speak for truth i shout for history i am a cesspool for all the shit to run down in.
1: very just kitchen sink just like totally put, put every demo from the practice space into that yeah
0: yeah yeah you know we're gonna do a song that you know is like total chicken scratch you know funk you know placed against like an acoustic you know ballad kind of thing or not ballad mm-hmm. but you know um and then i think you know most importantly to kind of the bands we're going to be talking about is Who's uh, screwed? Zen Arcade, yeah, um, is I personally think like sort of the starting point if you want to like get a handle on like how do you get from you know Deadline to Rights of Spring.
1: It, yeah, I mean, it, it's it's a band and a record that came from hardcore very clearly, you know, like without any sort of shading here. It's like they were a hardcore band. They had roots in hardcore as genre and a scene. And then they create this double album. Uh, what not it An technically? Concept album. Concept album. Concept yeah. album. Concept album. Yeah. That is has that's it's it's a it's we're going to talk about this you know there's there's a evolution of hardcore that i think the the records we've talked about right now up until now have been doing it's sort of playing with different things pulling things in there and there but at this point we're talking about an actual reimagining of it and it's still you could really clearly call this hardcore yeah in 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 most regards right there's absolutely but it's it's refiguring the parts in very major ways
0: yeah and you know it's that was the, that was the thing with with um with Huscadero at that time was they were playing with you know uh really overt elements of like psychedelia and classic rock you know they famously covered the birds 8 miles high and just like turned it into this just towering inferno So, yeah, they're completely exploding the genre um, while keeping it, you know, very much like it is a punk record. Um, and But it's also incredibly melodic. Um, you know, and that was kind of the... That, I think, was kind of the big shift that happens, is that the melody that had kind of been buried uh, in a lot of their previous stuff, Mm-hmm. Um, comes out on that record. And I think it's a big, I think it, it has a big impact on a lot of bands, not just in DC. I think you have a lot of bands in the wake of Zen Arcade that, you know, kind of start playing kind of not, you know, maybe more like mid tempo or there's more kind of, you know, tempo exercises, um, you know, more melody um just sort of you know playing kind of with the shards of hardcore but you know, doing something interesting with it yeah um and i think rights of spring is absolutely one of those bands yes um so let's you know kind of get into uh sort of their story um so and
1: and, and what's what's wild about like we're going to get into rights of spring not because it sort of sets the scene is because this is the first band in this sort of string it's the first release And when you talk about it it's it sets it up. Like they very clearly everybody talks about this is the situation that brings in like this this whole sort of movement.
0: Yeah. I mean they really they really kind of crystallize it.
2: Die. Left die.
0: This time. Brendan Canty uh, had played in the band Deadline, um, which was featured on the uh, on the um, Flex Your Head compilation, um, and then that band broke up, um, and then Brendan and I think the bass player, who I believe is. A Gonzaga graduate. Um, they, they formed this band with uh, Guy Pachoto and Mike Fellows called Insurrection. Gee and Mike Fellows had been, you know, childhood friends. Um, they were a little bit younger uh, than Ian Mackay and Jeff Nelson. They, I think, they're three or four years younger. So, um, when they were going to see shows, they kind of had this like little group that they called the dance of death (laughs) crew. And it was just like, kind of, you know, it's like the kind of dumb inside joke, Mm -hmm. you know, stupid shit that you do when you're a teenager. And like, you know, they would like, I I read something, I think it's in dance of days. They talked about, they would like zip up their uh, leather jackets over their head and just like run around crazy flailing, you know, so just like stupid, but like, Mm -hmm. you know, funny kind of stuff that you do to like, you know, yeah. Like what, what every
1: like 10, 15 years of teenagers like has a new version of. Like, I feel we, when we were growing up, it was like pretending to be jackass. And yeah, oh, yeah, totally. Nowadays, it's like you're fucking Logan Paul or something. You know, like it, it's, yeah. yeah, this shit is just a, a, eternal.
0: It will yeah. always be. It, it'll never go right. away, no matter, you know, no matter what you say. I mean, you know, but, but whatever. So, like, yeah, they had a little crew and it was, um, Guy, Mike, Brendan was a part of it, because Guy and Brendan had been friends for a long time, and they were all kind of, you know, friends with uh, Deadline, and then Deadline breaks up, and they form Insurrection, which um, is uh, Brendan, uh, this guy Terry, whose last name I can't remember, but he's the one from Deadline that comes with Brendan, and then Mike Fellows and Guy Pachotto. Insurrection apparently were... like really volatile. They were kind of like the untouchables, I guess. Mm -hmm. They were just like go crazy. Um, supposedly they recorded some demos, but they've never been released. Yeah, Uh, you
1: you you talk like you read reports and, and hear from people of this time period and like Almost in their own way, Insurrection is the thing that kicked this all off. And maybe that's like just apocryphal now because we don't actually know what they sound like. Like they could have just been fine. They could have just been another one of these bands. But it's it's sort of, yeah, like that volatile energy key bringing a lot of it. But I just feel like the group of these people together is sort of sets the ball rolling. In many ways, yeah.
0: Supposedly, they recorded these demos at in their ear, but they weren't happy. And then they, the, the, again apocryphal story is they burnt them in a bonfire.
1: How cool! Another yeah. the dance of death crew strikes again. <laughs> yeah. Like, you know. God damn you, Dod kids! <laughs> Just a, a a bunch of teenage.
0: Was it KMF? Next. yeah um but you know based on kind of my research and, and reading into it it sounds like what it was was they were listening to a lot of um a lot of what would become known as like crust punk and db so like venom rudimentary Peni, discharge um they were listening to a lot of that so i think that kind of gives you an idea of maybe what they sounded like um you know, that sort of really overly distorted, like, you know, type of um let's, hardcore going into let's this.
1: let's put this energy like sonically in some way. Let's like it's it's not the live as a recording. It's literally like, let's make this chaotic. Let's make your experience yeah. of listening to this chaotic. Yeah.
0: Break up, i think in like 83 and um you know there's this really wonderful article um that was i guess it was in uh this magazine called stop smiling um by a guy named john dugan uh and he he kind of writes about sort of like the milieu that was going on and um sort of how rice of spring comes out of the first wave of punk and its connection to it but also kind of you know in a, in a way, I think it's also a really great article because it kind of deflates the mythos
2: mm-hmm.
0: around Rites of Spring. Because I don't know if you experienced this, but like when I was first getting into this in the early 2000s, like 2001, you know, and I read about Rights of Spring. I mean, it sounded and then I heard Rights of Spring and I was just like, oh, my God, this must have been incredible,
2: mm-hmm. you
0: know, and like it, you, it's very easy to kind of overly mythologize. Something that, to that point, had been pretty heavily mythologized anyway, at least on an underground scale. This is a really interesting article, because he talks about how um, they hang out in Georgetown, and um, they would, you know, go to record stores and buy, you know, it's Brendan Canny's quote as saying, you know, I collected buzzcocks and wire singles and early Scritti Politti. Mike Fellows says, you know, we just did a lot of, like, aimless teenage shit that was encoded and mythologized you know like mm-hmm. like what right. we're talking about the dod stuff like it goes on to say there was a strict system of packs where if something was declared and then seconded it had to be executed without resistance <laughs> like watching nina's 99 red balloons video 99 times without leaving the room or crawling home from miles away and then it goes yeah. on to say Brendan Canty claims that rights of spring spent every Monday duck pin bowling for years (laughs) (laughs) or like, yeah,
1: it's this, I think this is also a period where the, the bands and people in this scene are starting to like realize that, yeah, maybe they'll be sort of overanalyzed or, you know, they're, they're sort of in the swirl and in the story a bit. So yeah, I mean, it's, it's both these teenagers growing up and also realizing your place in it a little bit.
0: Yeah. And I think also just, you know, like, accepting that like you know yeah there's something so prosaic about it that i love um you know because when you listen to rites of spring it sounds like the world is on fire and every emotion is just ratcheted up and it's you know it's just raging (laughs) you know it's kind of just funny to imagine like you know the band that produces that like hey it's monday are we gonna go duck pin bowling (laughs) (laughs) you know there's sort of and this kind of gets at uh, you know this element of humor that i think really kind of gets lost in a lot of dc punk yeah Um,
1: definitely washed out over time
0: Mm -hmm. yeah so like it's always kind of delightful in a way to kind of you know get these little nuggets about like how, Oh, these people actually don't take themselves that seriously. And it,
1: it, it's cause the this time period also, I think we, we touched on it briefly, but sort of this revolution summer is there's an influx of, of political mindedness, uh, yeah. of all the bands here. Um, it's beef Eater who are sort of the most openly Overty political,
0: political. Yeah. But,
1: <laughs> um, it's it's funny because you see this what's happening is yeah there's this old guard or sort of uh like follow after of old guard of these skinhead punks and maybe some nazis Mm -hmm. but mostly just like you know dickheads and so people are starting to get a little more serious about it but there's also these sort of like peace punks or people who's like it's more political about it but they're actually sort of themselves butting up against even like the discord crew who yeah we started this when they were teenagers so they all it's sort of silly at some level it's all yeah, like totally. you know, goofing around so it's this there's a actually it's not just like again it's not just one side versus the other it's not just left right it's this uh, approach of what you want scenes to be and represent that's mm-hmm. coming across and i think how they're Thinking about music in some way, because again, it's not just this evolution of this sound. It's not just bands, sort of like, all right, well, your band broke up and my band broke up, so let's like come together and we're going to kind of sound like those two bands together. Or you know, we got some really cool ideas we didn't put down to tape, and it was just a demo, so let's just play it in this band. Um, Yeah, this is. You also hear about like some uh, Ian, especially at this time period, is bored. I think a lot of these people are just sort of getting bored of the whole thing i mean they can yeah. be righteous about like oh we're against the violence we don't like what this is becoming but like it just feels like it's sort of rote at this point it's just sure. you know insurrection whatever they sounded like yeah was exciting to see in a way that uh all of these bands were at some level exciting to see but you go to one show where they're thrashing around and screaming like you you you, go, you went to most of them so yeah yeah. You know, Gee, gi- I think is the linchpin here. I mean, obviously the the band uh, is incredible, and you you hear both the parts of hardcore, uh, you hear the percussion, you hear sort of how the the speed and the energy, but you also hear you hear Gee, you hear you you hear a lot. I mean, like you, yeah. let's let's that's maybe I think what really set them up and why they're now sort of this shining example of. Of emotional hardcore,
0: yeah. So, rights of spring gets started in terms of like they start playing around basically in like '83, um, you know. And rights of spring is uh, Gi Pachoto, Brendan Canty on drums, uh, Eddie Janey on guitar, and then Mike Fellows is the bass player. Um, and um, you know, so they had been kind of playing music as friends. Um, You know, for most of 83 into 84, they record uh, their um, their demo um, in 84 before they'd even played a show. And after they recorded that, uh, Mike Fellows decides, like, I want to move to L.A. (laughs) (laughs) Mm
2: -hmm.
0: And so they basically like took the took the demo and like added again a Beatles reference at the very end there's uh, someone is recorded as saying, and it's sped up and then they slow it down to say, Mike fellows is dead. (laughs) Mike fellows is dead. You know, like, you know, so, um, again, with the in jokes and they sent it to Mike and, you know, whatever, I guess they had like, um, you know they. I, I don't know if they broke up or what happened, but basically, Mike uh, comes back a few months uh, later. I think in the f- late summer of '84, mm-hmm. and they play their first show at Food for Thought, which is the restaurant we talked about earlier. It's also really no worth noting. Rights of Spring only play fourteen. To 15 shows like they're not sure they mm-hmm. think it's 15 or 15
1: they were very particular like they yes yeah. they 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 got really upset if they did it poorly and they had they got,
0: yeah yeah mm-hmm. and if you look you know if you look on youtube you can find footage of them playing and like they would break equipment like all the time <laughs> um because they were just you know Gee is a fucking madman and mm-hmm. would just be thrashing around and you you see him like just going crazy with this Rickenbacker and all I can think of is like, don't break the fucking
1: Rickenbacker. Oh, that's that's like a $1,400 guitar, yeah. Jesus Christ. Yeah,
0: yeah like, <laughs> how are you able to replace all these Rickenbackers? <laughs> so, you know, and I think he sort of has mentioned in interviews that like, the one he played in Rites of Spring, that like, he can only play it in the studio now because it's held together on like a wing <laughs> and a prayer. It's uh-huh. been rebuilt so many times. And, you know, so they would like just break stuff all the time. And, you know, they only played out of town, I think, once or twice. Most famously, they play in Detroit with Sonic Youth, which talk about a show I'd like to be at. Um, you know, and I think. But, yeah, they only play 14 shows. Yeah. And this uh, is, yeah,
1: I mean, this is like over, what, two years or so, maybe. And
0: yeah, they're, they're broken up by 86. Right. Um, and, um, you know, they'd recorded a follow-up EP. Well, I mean, let's talk about, the, I mean, let's talk about the record. Cause yep, let's we do need it. to talk about the record. Yeah. Um, it's one of the best punk records ever made. Like I, I, I will stand behind that statement. Mm-hmm. It is As vital as anything by, you know, the first wave of US and UK punk, it absolutely, I think, opened a door into like, where else can things go? Like, I, I don't think you can really oversell or overstate how good and how important that record is
1: um just just what we were talking about earlier i think it's really important at this point this sort of juncture and in the discord history and sort of the how the scene was working on itself is yeah it they could keep playing in different iterations of hardcore they could find their influences in. they could be better at their instruments to replicate things better but every this was you know it a bit of bottled lightning, a bit of just yeah, the right people and the right sort of energy was put it's, behind it. Yeah, total but alchemy. It it just it it refigured itself. It re sort of configured around what the emotion behind Guy's vocals and behind his lyrics. It coalesced around what tone that could set. Beyond even just sort of a backdrop of what you could consider just like hardcore um, rhythms and energy, yeah. like again, it's it. You you come back and listen to it, and it's it's not start and stop. It's not loud and quiet. It's not the Pixies or something. It's not that plain. Yeah. And it's
0: it's, and it's not it's not also um, post punk. Right. You know, yeah. it's not that mm-hmm. sort of like scratchy dub. You know, it's, it's definitely, it it owes a lot to hardcore, but there's just, whether it's because of the way in which he's singing, which is like, you know, it's not that sort of martial bark, you know, drill sergeant thing. It's, it's like, he's just rending his garments almost Mm -hmm, like, mm -hmm. you know, like there's just so much there and like, you know, um, it's and and i i think i am the other thing I, too like you know, so, yeah i mean the other thing to know too is like he as a, like as a lyricist he's really yeah, good yes
1: yeah i was about to say that's what i was just about to get into is i am not someone who actually like uh, lyrics often don't connect with me, even in completely understandable, earnest l- lyrical music. Um, it doesn't really sit. But you hear this, and again, it's loud. He's yelling. It's it's not always the most immediate what he's saying, but it, it's it's poetic. It's it's language that is not aiming, yeah, far. It's all it's not aiming too far beyond what he's trying to express to you, but it's not obvious. It's not don't do this do this i don't like this i like this you know it's not that kind of yeah the yeah this this is universal in that it's it's dumb it's dumbed down universal he is speaking to a personal um frustration a personal sort of longing for a lot yeah. I mean, there's there's con- conceptions of love and desire in this record that are um, very clearly not in records up until now because even love or whatever you want to call sort of uh, emotion around love is not in these records just because again, it's teenagers. It's people who don't know these things yet. Yeah.
0: And you know, it's important to note he was a teenager when a yes. lot of this stuff yeah. <laughs> was written. like, mm-hmm. you know, so like, I mean, it, it's really impressive. Like, you know, and the other thing that I, I think in general—it's not just rights of spring—but uh, I think it's worth noting is—is is I feel like this is kind of the point where there's a very distinct shift in terms of subject matter. I feel mm-hmm. like if you look at the first wave of DC punk, especially with Minor Threat, all the songs are about a you, right? Like mm-hmm. they're all directed towards sort of a you. You're talk they're talking to someone.
1: Even even when it's about a me, even when they're speaking in the first person, it's in reference to a you, right. It's like, it's a confrontational.
0: Yeah. And here it's all about me. You know, it's, it's self-focus, you know, it's in a way. Yeah. And it's solipsistic and it, you know, it becomes, you know, over the course of years and years and years, it does become kind of this parody of itself, you know, but like, I think in a lot of ways, like that's pretty groundbreaking. Like, Mm you know, if you place it into context, you know, you can make the argument that like, well, you know, like what is rights of spring and sort of that DC emo type stuff. It's, you know, it's hardcore kids finally admitting that, you know, Oh, we like the Smiths too, you know, <laughs> right, like, yeah. but I, I think there's more to it, you mm-hmm. know, and I, you know, um, and I think rights of spring, you know, is, is, lyrically it's definitely I think the more the most sophisticated band out of all of these bands um, and I think it's um, sonically the most arresting band mm-hmm. um, you know we talked about how in insurrection you know they were they were really into stuff like venom and rudimentary Peni and disc uh, and the you know uh, discharge and crass you know that stuff that's super blown out you can yeah. hear that in the production of this. It's mm-hmm. blown the fuck out.
2: Um,
1: and they and they play with it and, and like that's another thing that they I feel this is doing a little better of they they play with the recording. They they mess around with sort of feedback in the actual oh, yeah. itself. Yeah.
0: yeah. So, you know, during, uh, 85 a- and again, revolution summer is basically 84 to 86. So, and it's really the summer of 85 is the big sort of, everyone kind of looks the actual summer. That. Yeah. The actual summer. Um, because that's when positive force DC gets started, um, by Mark Anderson, who uh, is the author of *Dance of Days*, uh, and who moves to DC to do sort of you know community organizing type work. Who and he's also a fan of punk, and he kind of gets uh, he sort of see the, his first interaction with the DC scene is Revolution Summer. Mm-hmm. So for him, it's like an epiphany because it's these bands who are being super creative and you know this is the time when the um they have the first punk percussion protest Mm -hmm. um, outside the south african embassy a lot of dc punks show up and it's sort of the first real politically political awakening a lot of them i think have is during this period and positive force plays a huge role in that
1: yeah reagan reagan is sort of the villain in a lot of like, uh, stories about punk. It's, it's always funny to think like, it's, it's these micro protests. It's these, it's not, you know, the big, bad Reagan, you know, Reaganomics, uh, how terrible it's, it's personal things. And it's, it's what was happening in the city. Yeah.
0: Yeah. And, you know, I mean, we talked about, you know, most of these are, are the sort of middle-class kids of, mm-hmm. you know, government employees or, you know, people who work, either adjacent to or within the government, Um, you know, so they're mostly, you know, pretty smart individuals who, you know, follow politics. And I think they kind of realize that, you know, systemically, you know, you're not going to overthrow Reagan, you know, like, you know, no matter how many clever dead Kennedy songs you throw at him, you're not going to overthrow it. But But what about
1: one more? What about one more, Nick?
2: Emperor Ronald Reagan Born again with fascist cravings, Still made a president
0: I don't know man (laughs) I don't know
1: Shit alright well we
0: tried (sighs) Yeah sorry Um, But you know I think You know sort of that sort of Awareness of, of you know I don't want to say the futility But kind of the awareness that like you know Acting locally and thinking locally is, Mm, and this idea of the personal is the political. It filters down into this. Um, And Positive Force, which the story of Positive Force is really funny because it, it actually stems from the band Seven Seconds.
1: Really? Huh?
0: (laughs) Yeah. So, like, the the punk band Seven Seconds, who are from Nevada, um, like, sort of had this idea of, like, oh, like, we want to create positive, you know, these sort of, like, cells of, you know, punk kids, like, doing good. Hmm. And they... And pot, the one in DC is the only one that like actually lasted longer than like a year or two. Um and it's <laughs> which, which, yeah, it makes sense. Yeah. And it's, you know, it's I mean, it's down to I think I would say the persistence and the dedication of, of Mark Anderson. Mm-hmm. Um I, I really think you can give him a lot of the credit for keeping that going um and establishing that as a as a big player um within the scene throughout the 90s you know so anyway you know so that's a big part of this and uh after that protest the uh rights of spring play a a a show at uh the 9:30 club and you know it's one of those shows that people talk about you know as being apocryphal and um you know one of one of the great shows of all time sort of um you know apparently it ends they they play their song end on end which is you know it just like the title (laughs) end on end it just keeps going Mm -hmm. and they finally finish and apparently the audience of punk kids like keep sort of like keep kind of the melody going like Mm. like like the oh, oh like almost like a soccer chant Like, so it's like, you know, which is got to be really weird if you're in Rites of Spring and mm. like, you're like, is that a, is that a encore? Like, mm-hmm. do we come back out and play some more? <laughs> right. I think they do. Um, I think it's in, I think it's in Dance of Days. They talk about that. What's really great listening to these
1: records again uh, is you hear the history sort of flow through these records and what's nice is that for these standout records for minor threat for Rights of spring it you don't have to grade them on a curve anymore you don't have yeah. to think of like okay this is either all good all bad you don't have to you know th- they're records that stand on their own as not just pieces of history it, this is not the teen idols like okay it's the first one and then you go and listen to it you're like uh, it's it's fine it's okay yeah. you know like you can say yeah they're parts i'm enjoying about here there are it doesn't connect at some level but you know the ones that do really well i feel you want to listen to every record or you yeah. want to listen to every song and that i think is that, yeah so speaks to something really really strongly about it
0: after they put this out and you know that by by 86 they're pretty much kaput but they put out a further EP. This is a good example where, you know, they, they have a hard time, I think, living up to the record. So the All Through a Life EP uh, comes out in 87 after they've broken up. You know, they sort of say in uh, in hindsight that they felt like it was a little too experimental. They tried to clean up the sound a bit too much. Yeah. Um, and it's, you can hear that.
1: Yeah, I mean, it's it's like... It's so funny because up in this up until this point we don't really have many of them, but it is a sophomore record. It is, it is yeah. them taking what has worked so well and meant so much, and like they're maybe a little bored of it. That I think you read stories of them like that end on end story. Uh, I think that was the last time they ever did end on end to end the the
0: yeah the, they put, it the was like they, It spooked them.
1: Yeah and it was like it okay was like, well we this is like... this is too easy this is this is rote now like okay this is the yeah. song where Guy goes crazy this is the song where we break the instruments which is so yeah. funny because it was natural this was a, a real like uh, primal sort of thing they were doing on stage but even they started to realize within you know a year or two they're like oh well it's a little put on this yeah. is a li- like we're we're sort of playing to the crowd so yeah what can we yeah. do to not do that anymore
0: You know, and I think they they mention in this article I I referenced earlier, they talk about, you know, all those expectations, you know, I mean, they had the expectation for being this, like, cathartic and just volatile band live. And, like, you know, they say that, like, they played their last show and it didn't feel good and they were just like, we're done. (laughs) Like... Yeah. You know, okay. Like, we're done. But, you know, <laughs> they record it, and then they think, you know, probably in concert with, you know, trying to record that sophomore EP. And they're like, eh, it's over. Yeah. Um, yeah. You know, and uh, and they broke up. It's just. All Through Life is not a bad, bad record by any means. It's appended to the, it's appended to, uh, to their first record um, in CD form. So if you buy the CD, typically I think most people who listen to Rights of Spring, yeah, it's you know, just this
1: one record. Yeah. yeah.
0: So um, they, um, you know, it's got it's got Hidden Wheel, which I think is a great great record uh, or a great song, and. Um, And then from kind of the ashes, uh, uh, Guy, um, Brendan and, uh, Eddie Janey team up with, um, the, uh, former guitarist for the, of Faith and Embrace, Michael Hampton, and they form One Last Wish. Mm -hmm. Um, and they record a record that never got released until I think 99, Yep. um, And man, that record. I was listening yeah. so I had I, I was listening to that record today and I was like, how were these guys not opening up for like REM?
1: Yeah, it is it's wild. I mean it's it's I think technically the the last EP or a spring EP comes out in eighty seven, they record this in eighty six. I mean it's like it's right after. I mean like they started yeah. immediately and they're like, Okay, like hardcores, like that was fun. Like, you know, the it Yeah it obviously you can hear it it's it's still key the percussion obviously is the one that it's usually the line through a lot of these bands but it is like beautiful lyrics really like um yeah this is this is uh i don't know if i don't think we've done yours yet but i'm gonna put it out there this is my favorite discord record this is this is it uh and i came to it Randomly you know I forget yeah. why someone just recommended it Because it's it's this record that sort of doesn't Have a place in history it didn't come out For 13 years mm-hmm. it was Sort of released like yeah okay uh, We should put this out now uh, Discord themselves say the reason they Didn't put it out was because they Had released so many records of bands That had already broken up and they Apparently were getting a um, Reputation for that And I think there was maybe some scene defending where they didn't want to do another one, especially if it was uh, coming after rights of spring, which is probably sort of
0: revitalize the DC and discord. Um, yeah. Scene in quite a bit. So, yeah, and it's worth noting too, that, you know, rights of spring, like they get, I mean, they get attention outside of DC, mm-hmm. even though they barely play outside of DC um, because Flipside magazine, which is, you know, alongside, you know, uh, forced exposure and um mm. you know any other number of you know influential zines from this time um flipside does a big scene report on what's happening in dc in 85 and that's where the term emo core comes from um and you know immediately you know of course everyone within the scene is like oh that was the <laughs> dumbest fucking emo
2: core must be the stupidest fucking thing i've ever heard in my entire life.
1: But, just in case you're wondering, I read in my Thrasher the other day that in fact what my band, along with other bands in the city, was playing was emo core.
0: I'm thinking, oh, emo Phillips? Comedian? Ian core? Why no, emotional hardcore. As if hardcore wasn't emotional to begin with. Which in a way is is kind of perfect, right? Because I mean, like obviously, Flipside is based in LA, so they they're totally going to be taking the piss. <laughs> and you know, uh, I was trying to find a scan of that article. Um, I couldn't. Um, I'm, I'm going to keep digging because I, I I do think like I want to just check it's it got to out. be out there. Yeah, I'm it, sure it, it is.
1: But also, um, is, is this the first core? Like, is this the first genre that? takes off the heart, the uh, hardcore and like makes something from it.
0: Oh, I don't know. Let's say it is. I mean, it's obviously, I think flip side, you know, created that term as a joke. Uh, it just kind of took on a life of its own. And, you mm-hmm. know, the, the sort of like standard response from anyone involved in these bands is like, so you're telling me that, you know, bad brains is not emotional, mm-hmm. you know, and it's yeah. like, I get it, you know. It, it's a dumb term, and it's it's stupid that it's like kind of metastasized into this its own sort of thing. But you know, I, I they were playing with emotions on a different level than the Bad Brains were mm-hmm. and Black Flag were, and you know, they, so like you know, well, it's well, almost I, a it's, bit of a case it, of the Lady Death protest too much. Yeah,
1: it's also so clearly what it's what it's saying is that. Bands up until this point, hardcore bands, punk bands, like they were obviously playing with emotion, but their emotion was, uh, it was, it wasn't very subtle. It wasn't very subtle. It also was a default. It also was sort of like the background noise of this, uh, of this genre. And so like, Mm -hmm. it's, it's not a different, it's not, you can be shades of different kinds of angry. You can be silly and angry. You can be pointed, you can be nasty, you know, like, but it it never had A I don't, I don't want to say It didn't have depth but it didn't have A flourish to it That was speaking like that that wasn't yeah Just either back and forth it wasn't second person It wasn't first person it wasn't speaking about Someone it was engaging with sort of Higher concepts it was engaging With uh, poetic representations Of you know Not immediate feelings and Emotions And and, and yeah that's obviously what It was talking about and you know it it wasn't just love it wasn't just uh i'm sad about something and yeah you know, you're saying it definitely metastasized over the years but it yeah i mean it it was so clearly something that it was different it was different to anybody who could hear it yeah
0: and that's you know, and that's how it came about that, I, think. Yeah. I think there's something to be said too that like uh, There's a level of discomfort, Mm
2: -hmm.
0: you know, in watching someone be emotional, in watching someone sort of bare their guts. And I I, I don't necessarily think you get that level of discomfort in Rites of Spring, but in some of these other bands, you definitely do. Mm -hmm. Um. But so, yeah... um, so that, and then you know, we talked about one last wish, which holy shit, what a record! Um, mm-hmm. They that band le- was was less than a year.
1: Yeah. Um, Did they play a show?
0: Yeah, yeah. They, a, there's a actually few? footage of them on. Oh, really? Okay. Yeah. Um, they played. I think it's something like nine shows, maybe.
2: Mm-hmm.
0: Um, yeah, and uh, and then. Uh, the members of so the three from rights of spring re-team with Mike fellows and they form this band called happy go Licky, which is completely uh, it, it's inessential. Um, <laughs> it's really not that great. I mean, they're basically they, they would do things like they would just make shit up on the spot. Yeah. Um, you know, and I think, uh, you know, they would do stuff with like tape loops and, you know, uh, yeah, you know, their songs were largely improvised. So it's worth kind of checking out just as a sort of like interesting, you know, s- sign post on the way to Fugazi for, for, um mm-hmm. uh, Brendan Canty and, uh, Guy Picciotto. But it's, it, I mean, it's,
1: it's, it's also one of those bands, right. They didn't
0: actually re- like, they recorded
1: something, but didn't really put it out. Until I think also 99 so we'll Properly talk about it at some point but, uh...
0: Yeah I think you know there's I think discord puts out like a Retrospective of their stuff mm-hmm. you know So um, but again We'll get to it when we get to it
1: Sorry, wait, before you jump into something, I have to go pee real quick. So,
2: oh, okay. Close the door.